Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Now radio check. Now radio check for order. <laughs> What are you talking about? This conversation can serve purpose. You're Jay talking to WBZ. It's uh, 12.08. Bruins lose. Let's not, uh, you know, fall on our swords. Let's just try to move on. Oh, we're going to do some history tonight. First, uh, well, later on, we're going to set the Wayback Machine for 25 years ago. The Nicole Brown Simpson murders and the OJ trial. We'll talk about that. Want to know if you think the jury got it right. But currently, we'll set the Wayback Machine much further back to the Greeks and the Romans. Eliza Gettle is with us. She's a lecturer. Uh, she's a historian of ancient Greek and Roman worlds, specializing in the social and political history of mainland Greece under Roman power. And she is a PhD candidate in ancient history at Harvard University. And she's somebody who has actually dug around in Greece, right? Who actually put a spade in the ground. Actually, you don't dig with a spade. You dig with a toothbrush over there, right? Uh, not a toothbrush, but we do use brushes much larger. Basically, uh, the tops of brooms. Okay. So what I'd like to get at, and I'm my, my original plan was to talk about Greece and get an idea what the Greeks contributed and then why they kind of lost power, who they lost power to, that sort of interfaced, and why and how the Romans were able to take over. And then the, your specialty is the Greek influence uh, while Rome's, Romans ruled. And then after we get that base, we'll go into the, the emperors and we'll whip through the first emperors. We'll whip through Julius Caesar and the first emperors. Then we get to Caligula. And we've covered Caligula before, but it's always good to get another coat of information on somebody like Caligula because it's pretty complicated. So you ready? Yes. We'll go back to Greece. And we talk about ancient Greece. What was the Greek... By the way, important to point something out that you mentioned earlier. We think of Greece as a kind of an entity. It really wasn't. The Romans painted that picture of a, a Greek entity, but really it was a bunch of city-states, and they never really viewed themselves as a, a single unit. They did share things like festivals and philosophies and marathons, but they didn't really think of, think of themselves as the Greeks. Can you talk about that? Yes, absolutely. So yeah, today we tend to talk about Greek history as a, a unified thing. Um, however, if you were living back in, say, 400s BCE um, in what we now know as Greece, 
you would have primarily have thought of yourself as an Athenian or a Spartan or a Theban or these big city-states that are very famous to like us still. Like a Texan or a Floridian or a New Hampshireian. Yeah, uh-huh. similar idea. A New Hampshireite, okay. Yeah, and they had greater organizations that brought them together, something kind of akin to our federal government, but it was secondary to their polis affiliation. Their and they city were state. C- very competitive, right? Oh, yes. All the time, even though they had, they were under the same umbrella. They were competitive, more competitive than the states are, I guess. So they were sort of constantly at war with each other. I mean, most famously, we think about the Peloponnesian War between Athens and Sparta, um, the sort of uh, direction the 300 movies are heading in towards the end. (laughs) By the way, you mentioned BCE. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you're here because what's the E in there? What does BCE stand for? Right, so traditionally we've used BC and AD, but we also use BCE and CE with BCE standing for before the common era and CE uh, meaning the common era. And the common era is? It's the same as the BC-AD split, so zero um, okay. being the sort of It's just a new way to say it, before common of, yeah. era. Yeah. Good to know. It's just sort of a new terminology that's become increasingly popular. So Greek, really powerful. And we get a lot from the Greeks. The Romans get a lot from the Greeks, and we get a lot from both of them. What are some of the key things that the Greeks created that wasn't there before that we actually use as a basis for our society? Right, so we attribute a lot of firsts to the Greeks. I mean, we talk about democracy as being something that emerges in the Greek world. Um, Particularly, we associate democracy with Athens. So um, the Athenians were able to accomplish that by only letting the free, rich men vote, basically. Their democracy was very limited, but so by democracy, they would vote directly. It would be it was voting. What what existed yep. before voting? Just might makes right? Um well before you get Athenian democracy, you do have I mean, even with democracy, might can make right. Right. <laughs> but um before that, uh you tended to have aristocracies. Okay. So a few rich men um, kind of dictating what was happening or oligarchies or the like. I mean, earlier monarchies as well. You get that at Rome as sort of one of your first stages of government. Okay. Anything else philosophically? Oh, I mean, philosophy was very big in the Greek world, again, at Athens. Um, even once Rome came in and was in charge of the Greek mainland, they would go to Athens to study philosophy. Were the Romans really far more, uh, the Greeks far more refined than the Romans? Were the Romans brutes that just came in and kind of crushed the the smart thinkers? Or did they also think? That's an idea that uh, contemporary Romans and Greeks had. Um, there's one uh, Roman poet who said that even though Rome managed to conquer Greece. Greece actually was able to conquer Rome through its sort of cultural superiority. Um, so, so Rome really was just a vessel by which the Greek thought processes continued through history. I mean, they often uh, sort of added their own layer to them. Um, they, the Romans were really great at sort of taking a core idea and expanding on it and making it their own. 
Um, and so we do get sort of additions to the philosophies and okay. the like, but they do really enjoy Greek philosophy and ideas. So what started to happen so that the Greek culture declined enough so they couldn't fend for themselves anymore and they're weak enough so the Romans could take them over? What, what happened? What, what went wrong with the Greeks? Uh, well, as we were saying, uh, all these city-states were very sort of disjointed and they tended to be at war with each other all the time. Um, and so actually in a lot of ways, they invited Rome in. Um, they were constantly looking for allies to sort of back them in their wars against each other. Uh, and so uh, Rome kept being brought in as an outside sort of judge and ally in these power games that the Greek city-states were having with one another. Okay. And that kind of got out of control. And at some point, Rome... What maybe not a point, maybe a a span of time, Rome took over. Were there battles? Are there key battles? Uh, it takes a very long time for Rome to sort of take over. And actually talking about a conquest of Greece is difficult because it takes so long. I mean, they particularly get involved. I mean, Rome in general is starting to expand outside of what we know as Italy starting in the 3rd century BC and we usually think of them as getting sort of pretty involved against Carthage and having a big war against Carthage. But at the same time, they're also starting to fight wars um, over in Macedonia, the sort of former heartland Northern of Greece. Alexander the Great's empire. Yeah. Okay. And eventually they end up fighting these wars in the mid, the early mid uh, second century BCE, um, farther down um, in the Greek mainland, um, and eventually a group called the Achaeans, um, who largely inhabited the land mass that we call the Peloponnese. It's a sort of upside-down hand um, in the southern part of the Greek mainland. Um, they kind of keep switching back and forth between supporting Rome and not supporting Rome in these various conflicts, um, and they finally basically piss off Rome enough that Rome comes in and sacks their city of Corinth in the same year that Carthage um, over in sort of North Africa is sacked. Okay. Eliza also has actively done some digging, some archaeological digging in some very interesting areas. Jordan and Turkey. And they let you dig right in Athens. That's kind of amazing. In the Agora? Yes. Which is right at the foot of... The Acropolis. Yeah. This great hill in Athens that had the major temple to Athena, um, the Parthenon on it. Um, so, yeah, uh, I spent two summers digging in the Agora, um, this marketplace. It was where you'd sort of go to uh, exchange coins, to hear philosophers speak, uh, to see if you were on a jury that day. Um, to check the sort of notice boards of new laws and the like. Um, and particularly in the years that I was digging there, we were digging um, this one particular stoa, this sort of long colonnaded building, this long building with uh, columns on the front that you could use for various purposes. Um, but it was where um, the philosophers, these sort of famous Greeks back in the day, these um, people that were drawn to Athens because it was kind of the center of learning um, would give talks to their followers. Um, and it was, uh, so it was a very important place. Um, 
How do they have time? Time is crucial when you're going to do some philosophizing. How did they have the time to do this, whereas previous civilizations didn't really seem to have the time? Uh, They'd taken care of the basics, food, water, shelter. I mean, How did they master that where, where others had failed? I'm not sure other civilizations had initially failed at doing it, but the Athenians, I mean, we tend to overlook the fact that they had a very large slave population that was uh -huh. doing a lot okay. of the agricultural labor, a lot of the mining for them. Slaves were also doing a lot of the day-to-day -day sort of bookkeeping of the Athenian state. Most of your bureaucrats um, in Athens were actually slaves. Um, and and so you your would... free citizens were free to spend the day kind of as they w wanted um, in the agora following these philosophers around. So if you're in the Acropolis and you walk down, as soon as you get down from the main steep part, it's only like a 10-minute walk from there to this area that's kind of between the Acropolis and then the main part of the city. Um, you, you said you were digging a building that had been covered up. How do they get covered up? I mean, what happens so that an entire building gets covered with dirt? Yeah, I know it's a long time, but was there one event or what? How does it? How does that happen? Well, in general, you'd be surprised at just sort of how much dirt accumulates over the course of two thousand five hundred years. But there would, are natural events that help. I would think if just natural dirt accumulation covered a building about halfway up, they'd say, "Gee, Bob, we should." sweep this building sweep the dirt away they just didn't or was, uh, there, was well, there was there a volcano or something something happened fire probably i bet fires happen fires are definitely a thing also earthquakes yeah are relatively common um in that part of the mediterranean uh also uh in the third century ce and so you get uh groups coming in and basically sacking athens um, and so you get a lot of buildings going out of use. Um, people are no longer um, around as much to make use of them. Um, they start digging wells in the middle of these buildings. So one of the um, things that I dug when I was in Athens was one of these wells. Um, they sort of set up a contraption and lower you down into it um, so that you can scoop dirt into buckets and send it back up. And this well that, well that we dug was full of tons of Greek pots because... Um, people would sort of throw their extra stuff down these wells. Um, Any bones down the well? Thing. Oh, yes. People throw people down the well? Oh, yes. Uh, there is a sort of forensic uh, anthropologist who studies all of the bones from the Athenian Agora, um, and she's done some amazing work looking at whether or not these people uh, were injured during these invasions or not, or if they... And sort of how they ended up in the well. Like, if somebody visits Athens, can they go see the area we're digging, or is it all roped off? No, no way, nobody can get in. Oh, you can. Can, can you get a guide to tour? Maybe. I mean, you can go to a large part of the agora. The marketplace is open to tourists, um, and you can go and actually see a reconstructed stoa, one of these um, buildings where um, philosophers would give their speeches, um, and you can um, see where the active digs are still happening. Um, there's a huge t American team that digs um, each year. Um, and you can't actually go down into the active trenches, but you can look down on them. And we constantly have people standing there asking us questions do about have, do you have to be what we found. a person like you to be involved in one of these digs? Or can regular people who just 
want to do it, do it. Is it a, can do you have to have skills in order to do this? Uh, or do they want just brute people power enough so that you can do it? So certain digs are uh, harder to get on, but in general, getting on an archaeological dig, there's no sort of expected skill. I mean, you have to be willing to use a trowel and brush some dirt and carry some buckets. Um, but it's very, uh, a lot of digs are looking for, actively looking for volunteers yeah. to help out with this so stuff. So if you're a retired person, like many people are in this audience, you're looking for something meaningful to do, you could do that. Where do you, oh, absolutely. Where do you go online to find available digs? Um, the Archaeological Institute of America has a database of various digs across the world, um, and they have information on reaching out to some of these digs. Um, for instance, when I was digging in Jordan, we had a, a couple from, I think they were investment bankers or something in New York, and they came for a couple of weeks and experienced life on an archaeological dig. couple of weeks. Okay. Now, I guess uh, we could talk more about archaeological digs because it's very interesting, but we only have an hour. So you're an expert in the overlap period of Greek and Roman, and I'm interested in that, Absolutely. We haven't really gotten to, is there one point where it's all over for the Greeks and it's now Roman time, or is it simply, is it a, a gradual thing? There's no battle. Sorry you lost. You know, the like, in the battle between the Persians and the Athenians, after that, phew, Athens has complete supremacy of the, the sea. So it was a very finite moment. Is there such uh, a, the Persians come back into Greek history. We just don't talk about it oh, as much. Oh, okay. But <laughs> my bad. Um, so, so is there a moment like that, though? Um, there are very important moments. I mean, the sack of Corinth is a big one. That's when Rome sort of decides that it needs to start doing something about these Greeks. And so they start experimenting with ways of ruling them. Um, but it's not until after the Battle of Actium, which happens um, in northwest Greece, um, that, and that's when. Um, where the future Emperor Augustus. It was 31 BCE. Oh, and it's so that gets pretty right late. Up, re, yeah, very yeah. late. And what about Caesar Augustus? Um, so the eventual Emperor Augustus, he's going to become sort of truly emperor a few years later. He is fighting um, against Cleopatra um, and uh, Mark Antony, who had sort of sided with her. Um, and that's when Octavian wins and sort of becomes the one person um, in charge or sort of like with a chance of leading the Roman state at that point. So there's really no big gap between the two. Is this, I, I thought there were a couple hundred years, but no, not it, the Greeks come right up closer to the Romans and, and the Roman rulers that we know. and love. Oh, definitely. And I mean, still, once Rome turns Greece into a province... Um, which happens just a couple of years after Actium, um, the Greeks are still very Greek. They still speak Greek on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, they still have the same sort of political institutions they and that's did before. How, that's how the Romans rolled. They let you be you as long as you didn't interfere and as long as you said, we agree, you're the boss. They, they kind of let you practice your life as you like. So we have about, we have about 25 minutes or so to learn about the early Roman emperors. I'm a history person. I watch this stuff all the time. I'm not an expert. I'm a fan. I'm buff. Uh, I like World War One. I. I like World War Two. I like Civil War. And I really, I like Egyptian. And I like 
Greek and Roman history as well. So we've been talking about the overlap and how the Romans kind of got tired of the pesky Greeks and decided we need to take care of business and rule them. Can you talk about the leaders that were in place as that happened and then kind of on your own go through the 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 early leaders, Julius Caesar, and then the emperors until we get up to Caligula? Right. So, so who is, who, small the, topic. The there. first, the, yeah, if you can cover that in, I don't know, 20 minutes, that'd be great. Yeah. The first so, big name we come to, I guess, is Julius Caesar, correct? And mm -hmm. so what was going on? When was that? And what was going on with Greece at the time? This is kind of in your wheelhouse. Right. So Julius Caesar is really uh, sort of in his heyday in the 50s to 40s BCE. Um, and during that time, Greece is really a theater of war. Um, in the 90s, 80s BC, this famous Roman general Sulla um, had gone in and sacked Athens um, and really done a number um, on that part of Greece. Um, and it continued to be sort of the place where Roman generals played out their um, problems with one another. Hmm. Um, so um, Caesar's assassins get sort of chased into um, that part of the world. Um, Actium, as we said, between so after, after Caesar's assassinated, Augustus. Mm -hmm. they, get, they run away. That's where they, where they go. Yeah. <laughs> they don't go out into the desert of the West. They Instead, they go to uh, Greece. Yeah. Um, I mean, they sort of go um, they over to Northwest of, yeah. Greece okay. in that sort of area. Um, and then, of course, Actium, as we mentioned, is this big naval battle between okay. the future uh, Emperor Augustus um, and his former bestie um, and lover, uh, Mark Antony and Cleopatra. Um, Can you believe that whole thing? <laughs> that's that's its own sort of hour so right there. You skipped right over the the murder of Julius Caesar. Can you talk about mm -hmm. that? Because that's super interesting where it took place. That took place right in the forum, uh, or, or part of it took place. They they set him on fire or buried him in the forum or something. They have this. A I mean, they kind of there. take his body. Yeah, and there yeah. ends up being this big memorial, at which people still leave flowers today sometimes um, in the Roman Forum. Wait. Um, yeah, I mean, there are lots of stories that surround uh, Julius Caesar's death. Basically, um, the Senate got angry with him, and they all stabbed him once. Yeah. That's they, the short version, right? Yeah, and supposedly as he's dying, uh, I mean, you get Shakespeare's kind of famous line of, uh, and you, Brutus, um, and the like. And that, I mean, there's, supposedly he actually would have said it in Greek, according to some, right? So it would have been... Uh, Kaisu Technon, like and you child, um, which gives you an idea of sort of how Greek the Roman world was. Um, but yeah, Julius Caesar dies, and then there's this kind of struggle to see who's going to emerge as the next kind of major leader of Rome. And Rome's not really an emp empire yet. It's like a an adolescent boy, strong, but really not organized in, enough to be considered an empire. And it's only under Caesar Augustus that takes place. Yeah, so for the past sort of 100 years, Rome has been led by kind of strong men, these like generals that had a big following amongst their soldiers. Um, and in some ways, the early emperors aren't 
much different, but they start to sort of institutionalize um, this idea of one man rule. Um, and Augustus is uh, formerly known as Octavian is kind of the, the first to really emerge as the sort of sole ruler of the Roman state. But it's not until um, later on that you really get um, used to the idea of empire in the Roman world. It's not like one day sort of Augustus woke up and everyone was like, you're emperor. It took many, many years for people to come to terms with this. So uh, Caesar Augustus was kind of a nephew of Julius Caesar. He, he grew up out in the sticks. His father had died. And at some point he did something that pleased his uncle. And his uncle said, you know what? come to Rome and he taught him in the ways of leadership and he kept catching breaks and did a good job and he became the boss. So he was adopted <laughs> as sort of the yeah. heir. Um, did the, did Julius Caesar did not have any other heirs or did he like Octavian better? You could say, I don't know. I don't, there was no one at the moment that okay. was clearly okay. in line before him. He was kind of the nearest male relative okay. that was an obvious choice. Um, and he hadn't really, I don't think, distinguished himself all that much before the adoption. It was really later after Caesar's death that he emerged as kind of befitting the role that he was suddenly in. So he lasted 40 years. He was a which very is a good long, politician. a long, long time. He was a very good politician. What happened to him? Um, he lived a full natural, <laughs> life for the most part. Natural, <laughs> he died of natural causes. Yeah. Um, he had an issue that he kept outliving his heirs. Um, he kept appointing people to succeed them, and then he would live longer than them. Um, and eventually, he kind of ended up with the heir that he didn't want, which was Tiberius, yeah. um, who became the second emperor. Um, and Tiberius didn't take to being uh, the leader of the Roman state in the same way that Augustus had. Um, Augustus was very good at sort of currying people's favor without them feeling a, bad about it. Yeah. Um, whereas Tiberius didn't like all the sort of pageantry that this involved. So he was um, kind of grumpy and he wasn't really a natural leader. He lasted yeah. 22 years, though. Yeah, he removed himself. <laughs> he went and sort of hid on an island for a good part of the end of his reign. And he um, made Caligula go mm -hmm. stay with him on this island. Yes. As a kid. Yes, while he got rid of all of his family. And the kid, well, and the island that. was, what was the island? It was right Capri. off, right off uh, Sorrento. Yeah, Capri. Okay. It's a beautiful island. Gorgeous blue waters. And as I understand it, uh, Tiberius was kind of debauched out there and... Uh, Caligula had to see all this stuff. Yeah, so Caligula had an interesting childhood. He was sort of born with the Roman army. Um, his father was a major Roman general. Um, and so you can his, say his name. I love his name. Germanicus? Germanicus, yeah. yeah. Um, and so Caligula's mother, Agrippina, would dress him up as a little soldier. And that's where we actually get the name Caligula from. It means little boots. Um, he's sort of more generally known in the sources as Gaius Caesar. Um, and his, his family has a sort of interesting role to play because they are beloved, uh, by the Roman people. Um, and in a lot of ways, people wanted his father Germanicus to succeed Augustus he was in the role of emperor. Soldier and everybody loved right. him. Right. 
Um, and so instead, Tiberius ends up adopting Germanicus. Um, but Germanicus ends up dead, as do a lot of people um, at this point in time. And it's thought that maybe Tiberius was sort of behind it. So um, sort of step one for Caligula's young boy is Tiberius maybe killing his father. Okay. Um, soon his mother is also kind of caught up in intrigue and exiled. Agrippina? Yes, Agrippina. She later went on to become the wife of Claudius? Um, she dies. There are two different Agrippinas. Oh, okay. <laughs> there's Agrippina the Elder, who okay. is um, the mother in this case, and there's Agrippina the Younger, okay. that who was ends always up being the me. mother of Nero okay. um, th- with, Cl- with Claudius. Yeah. Okay. So you have Caligula. Now you can, we'll have 12 solid minutes to bear down on Caligula, just like we planned, and it's going to be beautiful. He didn't last that long, only three years, and he's famous for being, well, he's famous, and you're going to say why. Uh, coming up on WBZ. You recognize my voice? I hear his voice in the morning hour. He calls me. The radio reminds me of my home far away. Jay talking. WBZ News Radio 1030. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I know how this sounds, but something told me to turn on the radio. A voice on the radio told you to come here. Radio zombies all night long. You just have to listen. Bradley J's coming on strong. Jay talking. Bradley J. You're up next. It won't be long. WBZ. Can I talk? Talk to you. You gotta talk as well. The hour is gone. News Radio 1030. We gotta call for the Jay talking show. We gotta lie that you say. Bradley J. WBZ, we're finishing up on a little bit of history of Rome and Greece, talking about Caligula. Before we do, I'll continue with Eliza Gettle on that. Let me ask you, is there are there any historical novels that you'd recommend that are really awesome read, but you learn a lot about this stuff? And that's kind of a surprise question, but do you have an answer? Oh, yeah. There have been a lot of uh, great novels sort of based Can you recommend in the one? ancient world. Um, for the Greek world, Song of Achilles is a favorite Song of, of mine. Achilles? It's based in the Homeric epics. Um, so Homer's Odyssey and Iliad are sort of the backdrop for that. And it's all about Achilles, right? The sort of famous hero of the Trojan War that Brad Pitt plays um, in the Troy movie. Okay. But it's kind of this Dan Brown zippy. Oh, it's a great read. Great read. Yeah. Kind it of thing. plays up this sort of uh, subplot that you can maybe see in the Homeric epics that uh, Achilles and his best friend Patroclus were lovers. Um, and so it's kind of um, a romance war novel. Ooh. What's the name of it again? Song of Achilles. Okay. So here we, uh, we've arrived at Caligula. And can you just talk about Caligula? Maybe the truths and the myths? What Actually, of the things that we hear in everyday layperson the layperson world can you 
renumerate those and or, or enumerate those and maybe talk about which ones are true and which ones are not? Right. So Caligula is one of our sort of early mad, bad emperors mad, bad as emperors. the stories go. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that comes from this one particular biography that was written by this guy, Suetonius, um, about 100 years later. Um, and Suetonius paints this amazing picture of this sort of insane person. At one point, he says, okay, we've been talking about the emperor, but now we're going to talk about the madman. Mm -hmm. um, and he tells us about how he uh, drank pearls dissolved in vinegar, and he ate gold-plated food. Um, he had ancestral relations with his sisters, according to Suetonius. Um, he tried to... Well, there's one story that's particularly famous in that um, he sort of dressed his horse up, gave him a nice house, and said that he was going to make him a consul. Um, how much of this is true? So it's a big debate, uh, sort of how we read these stories. Because, I mean, when you're reading anything, you have to think of the spin, right? So Caligula... What was the guy's name? Suetonius? Suetonius, He probably yeah. wanted to sell books. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he he saw himself as a bit of a scholar. I'm not sure if selling books was high on his uh, okay. to-do list, but he was uh, he had his own sort of loyalties. Um, and the really interesting thing about Caligula is that he was really popular with the general people, um, but he was really unpopular with the aristocracy of Rome, the people that were serving in the Roman Senate. Um, and the people who write a lot of our histories of this time are members of that aristocratic senatorial group. Those the, are the people folks who that he write. demeaned and embarrassed and really made fools of for the second half of his reign. Um, and so a lot of the stories we can also read in a way um, that reflects poorly on them and sort of better on Caligula. So for instance, the story about him trying to make his horse a consul, um, you can also see as him making fun of these senators of saying like, oh, look, you put on all this pomp and circumstance, but really you're no better than a horse right. because I can put anyone I want into the Senate, even my favorite horse. Do, by the way, do these folks intermarry and does that, contribute to maybe some sort of mental instability? Is that, is that a, a false idea? Um, I mean, there are sort of distant relatives that end up married in these contexts. It was off, often uh, a good way to consolidate family power yeah. to sort of marry someone so off to a distant relative. But Caligula, I mean, he tended to actually steal his brides from other men um he famously um when one woman was getting married to a guy sort of stopped the wedding and took her home as his wife instead and you say dissolved pearls in vinegar and drank them mm -hmm. to what was that i more? mean caligula i mean you have to remember he's young when he's emperor i mean he's emperor when he's about 26 to 29 years old um he comes to power um, and has all of this money. He manages to blow through all of the money that Tiberius had saved in one or two years. It's sort of like um, consuming these massive amounts of wealth. He's basically a 26 to 29-year-old guy who can do all the things that like he wants to the max. 
Um, and so this was a way to sort of show just how rich and powerful he was by sort of throwing away money. Was he actually mad or do you think they get drunk with power? Or is it the pressures of being the leader? What do you, what do you figure? In a lot of ways, I feel really bad for Caligula. He, his father was possibly killed by the emperor before him. His brothers and mother were exiled and basically killed. He came, he had to grow up in a situation where he was watching the person who had pretty much been systematically uh, killing his family, um, enjoy his pleasure villa on this island. And isn't, he couldn't have, he didn't have anyone he could trust. Isn't it likely he was sexually abused? Oh, I have no idea on that. But he definitely I mean, though, couldn't trust anyone. He was on the island with Tiberius, right? <laughs> and Tiberius was a super creep. I mean, Suetonius tells us that a lot of these bad emperors had their predilections. Um, we have to sort of take him at his word, I guess. Okay. Um, so... What did Caligula do so that the public liked him? And what did he do so that the senators did not like him? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, when he first became emperor, he acted a lot like Augustus had done. He gave out a lot of money. He threw big gladiatorial shows. Um, he also restored voting. Um, so for a while, there hadn't been um, elections for magistrates, but he um, reinstated elections, at least temporarily. So he gave the people some sort of semblance of power. Um, and the aristocracy couldn't complain because this was sort of the traditional way in Rome. Um, and so um, Caligula, actually for the first two years of his reign, we think that Caligula did a pretty good job. Um, after the first two years, there was a big conspiracy. Um, and there was then another second conspiracy um, and during this time, Caligula then gave um, a big speech, basically calling out the Senate for being um, a bunch of hypocrites um, and how they all basically backstabbed each other. And then he started really cracking down on them. Why um, did the people like him? Largely because he, I mean, part of it was that he made fun of the senators okay. um, for being a bit crazy and pompous um, and really too into themselves. Huh. Um, he didn't throw banquets and things for them and he didn't have big gladiatorial shows or was that somebody else? Oh, he did throw big gladiatorial shows and big yeah. theater shows and they really liked that. And he actually got rid of, um, reserve seating. So it used to be that, um, you would sit, um, in the Roman amphitheater or the theater sort of based on your social class. Uh -huh. The richest would kind of sit closest. He to made the a stage. general admission. Yes, he that, did. That's what I'm looking for. <laughs> um, and the senators were not happy about this, to lose their good seats. But ah, the people were very into this. That's, and it's super interesting. I would like to see some real definitive film series. Like even if it were 100 hours long, if, they could really, if I could really understand all this, as it might have seemed at the time, that would be great. And you're very helpful uh, in making me understand that just a little bit, maybe get interested enough to read more about it. What were, uh, I only have 20 seconds what were the books to read again? Uh, so if you're interested in Lives of the Emperors, Suetonius yeah. is an ancient Roman author who wrote Lives of the First 12 Emperors. Um, and they're fabulous. They're very salacious. They okay. give you all the juicy bits. Good. Um, also for Caligula particularly, there's this great biography um, by this scholar Winterling. Or Winterling um, and it kind of treats him as not so mad. 
Eliza Gettle, thank you so much. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.